Welcome to Servium, Latin for I Will Serve, a new podcast series from the Diocese of Rapid City, exploring the vocation to the permanent diaconate. Join me as I visit with some of the deacons who are fulfilling the mission of Christ as servants, sharing their gifts in Western South Dakota. I'm your host, Karen Gibis, and I'm honored to introduce today's guest. I am so excited. I have Deacon Bob Ackerman sitting across the table from me today. Welcome, Deacon Bob. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. So we are talking about deacons and the road to diaconate. But before we get into that, can you give us a snapshot of who you are? Well, I'm Deacon Bob Ackerman. I'm originally from Glendive, Montana. I'm married to my wife, Kathy, who is my high school sweetheart. We've been married 52 years. We have two children and, or excuse me, three children and seven grandchildren. That's great. Which parish are you assigned to at the moment? Uh, St. Rosalima, and I'm also with the Sacred Heart in Glendive, Montana. I have faculties in Montana and here both. Okay, so this is going to be a fascinating conversation that we're going to have. You had the opportunity to share your story with me already. There's so much there, and I wish we had three hours to dive into everything. But let's talk a little bit about your journey to the Catholic Church, because you were not born and raised a Catholic? No, it was, it was quite a journey. I was taken away from my mom when I was three years old, and I was adopted into a beautiful family, but it was not a Christian. It was a material world. I had a beautiful world, but I knew nothing of God. And probably about when I was in the seventh grade, my friends were all Catholic, and they would have to go to Mass, and, and I would go to Mass with them, and they would go like, Ackerman, why are you going to Mass? You don't have to do that. And I was like, you know, really, I didn't have anything else to do. And I'd go to Mass, and it was in Latin. I had no idea what was going on when they were doing the calisthenics, and they're, you know, up and down. But there was something would happen when they would go up for the Eucharist. And it was just, I, I didn't know what it was, but it was something that I wanted. But I couldn't explain it. And they were all very good Catholics. They didn't explain nothing to me, and I didn't ask any questions. So I... Uh, Kept going to Mass with them. I got drafted in 69, and just before I left, I joined the Catholic Church. I was just elated. I can remember when I got my dog tags, it had Catholic on it. It was like I had an identity, and I really never had an identity prior to that. And everybody around me would go like, what is the matter with you? And my dog, my dad's dog tag said for religion, none. I can't explain what that meant to me. I ended up someplace I really didn't want to be, and things were happening that I didn't understand. And being a Catholic now, I had someplace to go. I could go to confession. I had been to one confession prior to this one. And so I really didn't know what I was doing or what to expect, but I just knew that I could go there and I'd get the answers that I needed. Well, I went to confession, and uh, you don't think a priest, you know, I look back now, and it was stupid on my part, but you don't think a priest having a bad day. They're perfect. They should have good days every day. But when I went to the priest to confession, he said, you need to cowboy up. I don't like it here any better than you do. And it was like, wow, I don't need this. And uh, I didn't go to confession for 32 years, and um, I fell away from the church. From then on, it was just kind of hot and cold. I got out of the service, I got married, but I wasn't active in the church. I feel bad when I was going to college. My wife is my moral compass. She never lost her faith, and I did everything to pull her away from it. 
I mean, the devil was working through me. I would insult her. It was just like, why do you, you know, why do you want to get up and go to that? We can stay here in bed. You don't need to go to mass. And so that was kind of the way it was. And she never, she never veered off. Lucky for me. So that's kind of how I, that I got into it. I didn't know God. And it's like they say that you can recognize God, but if you don't know God, you can't believe in God. And that was where I was. I could recognize him, but I didn't know him. I had no idea really who he was because I had no foundation. So I was a deal maker. I was praying to a God that I didn't understand, and I would make these unbelievable deals. You know, if you do this, I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll go to Mass now. The only time that I knew God was when there was trouble in my life, and then I would pray to him making those deals. Fast forwarding, this went on for quite a while, and I was in and out of the church, and I was living in Laurel, Montana at the time, and it was a Sunday, and a priest came out after Mass, and there's people all around, and he said, Bob, he said, you know, I haven't seen you at Mass, and I said, well, archery season was on, and I said, you know, if God gives me an elk, I'll be back to church, and he just I can still see him. He was about five foot six, five foot four, right in there. And he come up to me and he just pounded me in his in the center of my chest, and I can still feel it. God doesn't make deals, and he just walked away. And everybody's standing around, you know, like, what did you say? That was a nudge, and, and through my whole road, I would get these these nudges, and I was death to him. Just I knew that what had happened there that I needed to go back to the church, and I did for a while. And again, I, like I said, it was a roller coaster. I fell back out. Well, then my wife made a, come Crystal Weekend, that's what they're in Montana. It's the same as the Crystal Weekend here. And uh, she was just on fire. I mean, not that she was away from the church, but she was really on fire. I'm like, what? You know, that's good for you. I'm okay with it. And the policy was that the husband was supposed to go first, and there was no way I was going to go. And they had worked on me and worked on me for a couple of years. And it was just, it was pretty obvious I wasn't going to make a weekend. So they let her go to make a weekend. But in the meantime, she was with a prayer group. And I don't remember, I think there was five or six women in that prayer group. And for close to five years, they prayed that I would make a weekend. And I mean, they made my life miserable when I would see them. It was just like, you know, I don't want to talk about it. And I was at a hardware store, and I was in line, and there's people all around. This Mary Thomas was her name, and she was from India, and she was just, she might have been five foot tall, and I'm 6'2", and we're in line, and she walks up, and she's just nervous. And she spoke very good English, but she was so nervous she could hardly talk. All I can remember is, you going to make the weekend, Bob? And it was like, God, I don't want her talking about God here in front of everybody, you know. And it's just like people are looking at me, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, just don't say anymore. (laughs) So then I got out of my pickup, and I was like, Gapers, what did you just do? So I thought, well, if I make the weekend, then I will, uh, I'll be good. I'll just do it for them, and uh, I'll be done. I got on the weekend, and I made it very clear when I got there, you know, I wasn't there because I wanted to be there. I was there because of Kathy and these unbelievable women that were bothering me in her prayer group, and I didn't want to be touched. I definitely didn't want to be hugged. I just, I'm just there doing my time. And I went through probably about half the weekend with that attitude. Then Saturday night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I had this, the gym lit up, and it was like I couldn't believe it. 
and there was three crosses. And I mean, it was just the light was just penetrating. And I'm looking around and I'm like, how can every, how can you guys sleep through this? And I'm carrying on, and then it's gone, and I'm just bawling. And up to that time, I'd never cried in my life. I can remember the guy sitting next to me, Ackerman, what is the matter with you? And I said, well, the light, the light. And no one's seen it but me. The feeling I had was like the first time when I went to Mass, when they went up for communion. There was something, a warmth that, I, that was there, and mm-hmm. I don't know where it came from. Now it was definitely the Holy Spirit. So I came out the weekend, and I didn't think I'd changed, but my family definitely seen a difference in me. And my secretary at work, finally said, Bob, I don't know where you were or what they did to you, but I wish you'd have done it 20 years ago. Fast forward. There was a funeral. The priest there was Father Panessa, and some people might know him. He's got a number of books out. He's been on EWTN. He he came, and he says, can I sit with you? And I said, yeah. We're sitting there, and he says, would you do me a favor? Well, I'm thinking he's got something broke that he needs fixed. And I, yeah. And he says, well, they're starting the diaconate up, and I'd like you to go to the information night, you and Kathy. First of all, I'd never heard of a deacon, let alone the diaconate. I'm not interested. And he says, well, they haven't had the diaconate for 20 years in Montana. This is the first diaconate program in 20 years. And I think you'll find it very, very helpful. And of course, Kathy, she's just a lady. Yeah, yes, yes, we need, you need to do this. We need to do this. So again, it was kind of like the come crystal weekend. I'm going to do it, but I'm just doing it for you too. And I got there. It was like I had two left feet. I looked at everybody in there, and it was like there were some holy people there. I did not feel like I fit. And it took me a long time to realize we're all sinners. They were all sinners in there. They all had holes in their socks, too, but I didn't see it at the time. So I left there, came back, talked to Father, and said, I don't think so. And, and he says, you need to pray on it. He said, you know, maybe just go to one of the classes, just one of them. So one led to another. I'm fighting this all the way. The back of my mind, I still haven't got God in my life the way he should be. And the God that I knew, a judgmental God, and I feared him. You don't do this. You know, you're going to walk outside and a lightning bolt's going to hit you. Or something's going to happen. You're going to have to do this, Bob. And it was like, that was kind of how I went into it. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I got to do it. So what year was this, that all this is going down? So this would have been probably 2006 right in there. 2007. And you're up in Montana during all this. I'm going to the diaconate classes. Now, I'm at the eastern end of Montana. We're on the North Dakota border. The diaconate classes were in Great Falls, but it was a six-hour drive up there. We met once a month. It started on Friday, then we got over on Sunday. During that process, I uh, had a real close friend that we carpooled up there with. We had a lot of windshield time, a lot of sharing in that. About halfway through the diaconate, he was asked to leave the diaconate. I was devastated. I was like, this isn't right. I'm being God here now. You know, this this guy is definitely a deacon material. Somebody's messing up here. So I was really troubled with it. Well, we had started out with about 30 in the diaconate class, and we were we were down to probably eight or nine at that time. And a couple of them that had left, again, me being a God in my eyes, knew that they should be in the diaconate program. I'd seen them as deacons. Even though I didn't know what a deacon was, they were deacons. So I called them, and I, you know, I told them what was going on, that I was just really troubled. I'm just struggling with this, something awful. They said, well, what you need to do is sit down and write a letter to the bishop and just tell him that you want out of the diaconate. And they said, you're not going to believe the weight off your back. 
well, that sounded good. And I go home, and Kathy said, you sure this is what you want to do? Oh, yeah, I, yeah I'm going to get this weight off my back. So I write the letter, and it was one of those moments I dropped it in the mailbox, and it was like, oh, what have I done? I knew it really wasn't what I wanted. But I had that devil in the one ear tell me, yeah, it is. This is, this is right. good. Right. And that's what I was feeding. So I thought, well, again, this judgmental God, if I quit, <laughs> I know there's going to be a lightning bolt or something. So <laughs> if I can get the bishop to tell me it's okay, then I'm home free. So contacted the bishop and asked that we could get together, him and Kathy and myself, so I could get some closure. Because I thought if I got closure on it, and he told me, Bob, leave the diaconate. Yeah, this is the best You're thing. off the hook at this point. Yeah, right. So anyway, we met, and he says, well, are you happy with your decision? And I said, no. I says, I feel like crap. And he says, you want back in? And I said, yeah. And he says, well, I will let you back in. But he says, I'm not saying that you will ever be a deacon. I don't know that you will ever be ordained. And I'm thinking, okay, that's good. It's honesty. And honesty. There you go. So he said, well, what do you want to do? If I get ordained, you know, I, I really don't want to do homilies. And I, <laughs> and I, you know, funerals, I definitely don't want to do funerals. <laughs> and he goes, well, it don't work that way, Bob. And I'll fast forward. I've done a lot of funerals and a lot of homilies, and the funerals have been a blessing. So God puts you where you're supposed to be. I'm still not 100% comfortable. Fast forwarding on, get ordained. We had a cabin in South Dakota for about 14 years. During that time, we went to Mass at when we were down here at Hill City at St. Rosalima, and uh, Father Yanish was the priest. And he had asked me a couple times if I would want a deacon in the summer. And I just didn't feel comfortable that because I didn't know the locals that well. I mean, I knew I had the community in the, you know, that were in the mass. But there again, going back to where I didn't want to do funerals, and I was doing a lot of funerals. And I knew how important it was to be tied to that family or be able to relate to it. And I just didn't right. feel that I could right. do that. The second year that he asked me, then I said, he said, well, do me a favor. He said, would you pray about it this year? So I went home and I talked to our bishop. He said, well, yeah, that's no problem. We can, you know, we can work that out with Bishop in South Dakota. And he'd come to find out that they were both pretty close friends. So it worked out, no problem at all. I did the paperwork. And then I'm feeling good. I'm pretty excited about that are going to be able to do this down here. And I get back to South Dakota and Father Yanish had been transferred really excited. I go, Father, yeah, yeah, I'm going to deacon. And he got transferred. Father Mark came into Hill City. He was new to Hill City. There was, I think, a learning curve for both of us. And at the time, he didn't really, I don't think he really seen the need for a deacon. Being the good Catholic, I didn't step forward and, <laughs> and say, hey, here I am. You're you know. right, right. Yeah, I could. I, could, I volunteer, yeah, volunteer. volunteer. I'm in the you front know, row. You know, that, that just, yeah. But anyway, I played the native flute. So I was at St. Isaac Jogues, and I was playing the flute there for mass for them. They found out that I was a deacon, and I think... They thought I'd be a better deacon than a flute player, so they asked me if I wanted to... <laughs> There's to, that honesty yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I was a deacon there for a little over a year, and it was, it was a very special time. I, you know, I missed, I, I missed them very much there. Yeah, it was beautiful. Then I, and, I, and I really don't recall how it happened, but Bishop Peter came, and we uh, 
somehow I did a mass with him, and I don't know why I was at this particular mass, and Father Mark was at the mass, and anyway, he says, you know, it'd be nice to have a deacon. You know, how do I get a deacon kind of thing? And it's like, just I guess he just asked. So to say please. Yeah. Well, no, I did wasn't even pleased because I was driving from I live by Pactola, so I was driving all the way into to Rapid, so it was closer. So it worked better for you. It worked out better for me. Mm-hmm. And we got got with the bishop and uh no problem at all that, that I could. So then at that time then I uh, started deaconing at uh, Hill City and that's where I'm at now. I do Keystone too, but Hill City is the main parish, so that is a great story. I mean, I sit here and I think there is so much resistance and so much reluctancy in your story, and yet God never gave up on you. He kept asking, waiting for you to be ready to say, I will serve. So yeah. one of the things that I find very fascinating, <clears throat> like even more than fascinating, is the fact that you knew what you should be doing, but you kept looking for that out to get out of it if it was someone else's doing. And God was kept going in, no, actually, Bob, <laughs> yes, here's exactly. the deal. Yeah. Ackerman, here's the deal. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was. And, and it goes back to what I said. I recognized God, but I didn't know God. And it, was till I, it wasn't till then that I knew God that I was be able to be able to be, able to, to be a servant to him. To say yes to, to yeah. his call. Yeah. Well, one of the things I'd like to talk with you about is another thing that actually maybe brings a lot of resistance into people's thoughts as they first approach it, but you do a lot with healing services and mercy nights. How did you get started with that ministry? Actual healing services. I wasn't exposed to the mercy nights until I came to South Dakota, but I was probably 12 years, 14 years into doing the healing ministry, and I was with a a native brother of mine from Browning, Montana, and we went all over. I mean, we were in Wyoming, uh, Washington, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, and a lot of it was, like I said, I played the native flute, so I did a lot of flute playing in there. So the uh, healing services that we were doing, the percentages of them were on the reservation. So it was kind of the native culture, so the, the flute was a, was a pretty big thing in it. And today I really thought about that. When I started this, I did not have the relationship with God. I was still, he's out there, but I really don't know who he is. And so I was doing the healing service, and and Deacon Mal was just on the other page. I mean, he was such a holy man. And the miracles that we've seen, or that I've seen, and the things that had happened, and and I grew into it. I think it's like when you get married, you don't know nothing. When you get married, you grow into it. And that's what happened to me with the, that's beautiful. With the uh, um, healing services was that I grew into it. And the more I got closer to God, the more the Holy Spirit was there. So, so if someone goes to a mercy night, I mean, it can be overwhelming at first. Can you give us an idea of there's various components to a mercy night here in our diocese? What would someone expect I tell people the mercy one of the, some of the first mercy nights that I was involved with is that everybody's been to a car wash. You can go in there and you can buy the five dollar wash, you can buy the fifteen dollar wash, you can buy the twenty dollar wash, and you can have a half clean car or a dirty car. But when it comes out the other side, it's a different car. No matter which one you bought, it's a different car, and that's kind of what the mercy night is. You got adoration, reconciliation, and you have the prayer service where you can be prayed over. And it, you can go there, and you can just go to reconciliation. And when you come out of there, something's going to happen. There's going to be a difference. 
You can just go there for adoration. You can just mm -hmm. be there and talk with God. Something's going to happen. You can come there and you can go pray, be prayed over, and something is going to happen. And Or you can do it all. So it's a choice. And to me, we say healing. I can't, none of us can heal anything. I could pray over any one of you, and I can't heal you. There's only one healer. I'm just a servant, and we're all servants. I think people, a lot of them, when they have come to it, they've seen stuff on TV where, you know, it's just like, stand up and walk. And it's not that way. The Holy Spirit is very shy, and you've got to be open to the Holy Spirit. And you let the Holy Spirit in, and He will fill you with love. And the biggest thing about a healing service is a lot of times we think about when we come there, we want an instant miracle. And they do happen. But more than not, it's gonna, it could be a progressive healing. It could be a week down the road, a month down the road or something. They, they change your prescription or they, they find, oh, this is, well, this is what the problem was. Or the pain or whatever goes away, the physical healing. But the biggest healing is the spiritual healing. And that is really, to me, is the most important part of the Mercy Night is the, the spiritual healing that you, that you receive. Jesus healed. He never just went and said, hey, stand up and walk. He always said, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has healed you. And that's the way it is there. When you go to that, you need to be open. If you're open to the Holy Spirit, wonderful things happen. Yeah, so be not afraid and don't resist the love of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, when you've been prayed over, and I like to say prayed with, right. you may rest in the Spirit. And that sometimes scares people. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't explain it, you know, why it happens. It happens to some people, some people it doesn't. But that doesn't mean that when you get prayed with that nothing has happened. Just because you might have rested in the Spirit and then I come up and I don't rest in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is there and is working in you. But that a lot of times will scare people away. Is I don't want that to happen. Yeah, the resistance that, yeah. well, you're very familiar with that. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. what has been the most surprising part of being a deacon, you know, working in the ministry, serving others in the diaconate? I think every place I've been, the parish has took ownership of you. It's like having a family. Not that you do anything special, special, but they make right. you feel very special. Part of a community. And yes. you were looking for a community yes. at the beginning, yes. and you, you found it at the Catholic yeah. Church, and it keeps it becoming enhanced every opportunity. I had a wild life. There was a material world. God was a Harley. And I had no problem spending $1,000 on Chrome, but giving $10 to the church was pretty tough. After I got into the church, that just all changed. Now, all these biker friends and all that were, that were really my brothers, they left me. I have very few of those friends left in my life. And I did lose some other friends when I, joined the, when I became a deacon. But that was okay because the family that I grew into is just, just phenomenal. I would have no problem calling any of them if I needed help, and I know they would come to help me. My other world was a completely different story. What advice would you give someone who's considering the diaconate? Don't be like me. Be open. If you, if you feel the calling, if God is calling you, and you need to follow that calling, and, and it's not saying that you're going to be a deacon, and you don't need to be a deacon to be a servant. There are so many people out there that do so much more than I ever will ever do as a deacon, and they don't have that title ahead of them. That doesn't mean anything. But if God is calling you, you'll know. If you're, even if you're not ordained, you're still going to be a servant. Everybody has a gift. God gives us all gifts. And if that gift is, he sees you as a deacon, you will be a deacon. If not, you won't. 
and that's okay. But it's such a much easier road if you don't fight it, if you just let God into your life. It's a wonderful walk. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Deacon Bob. It's a fascinating road of resistance that brought along with it its own graces, its own struggles, and its own beautiful ending. So thank you for serving both in Montana and here in our Rapid City Diocese. Well, thank you for having me. If you feel God might be calling you to become a deacon or simply want more information about the permanent diaconate, please call me, Deacon Greg Sass, at the Diocese of Rapid City Chancery Office, 605-343-3541, extension 2228. 